everybody. Hey, buddy. It's Mike. And Sam. And Tim Stafford. And we are Franklin, Tennessee, bud. We're in Franklin, Tennessee, bud. I'm a fall break today. Woo! It's fall break today, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. And so we're very excited. Seth and I are home today. Yep. Where are we, we going to go after this? Go to Chick-fil-A. We're going to go to Chick-fil-A. What are we going to get at Chick-fil-A, my son? Mom's chicken. We're getting mom's, mom's chicken, chicken, which is what he calls grilled chicken, which I love. What the else? The chicken is in the oven. The chick rip in the chat for bonnie the chicken is in the oven i love that yeah finally a shout yes. out yep sweet hey, body tim tevin what hey that that was it. Seven, please. so ladies and gentlemen it's um it is a fall day seth theory taking a mental health day off of school oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's a fall day here uh, too uh, Seth is big trouble. No, Seth is not in big trouble. And Demetrius, daddy. Seth, daddy Mike was yelling, yes. So so, <laughs> what he's referring to at the yelling was that he's in an after-school care program about uh, at a school half a mile away, and um, he just showed up yesterday with his backpack on um, at not the scheduled time. And I was like, he doesn't ride the bus home. We go pick him up. And I'm on the phone with my wife, and she's on the way to pick him up at about 20 minutes away. And Seth just strolls up the driveway. And we're like, um, hello? And Seth, with this kind of weird, teary look in his face. And, and we're like, um, what in the world happened? And, and it comes out that he walked. He just walked out of the school he grabbed his backpack walked out of the school walked down this huge at least a quarter mile drive and then crossed a freeway okay God. a freeway and um somebody honked at him and it scared him and that's why he was sad and so daddy mike went to the school and and yep and, and asked in a very direct way and fight what no no fight Good body Lord. slammed the secretary through the yes, table. Yes, yes. This little old lady <laughs> threw her in a headlock. No. And asked in the most direct way imaginable, why the heck oh, my oh, son was at home? How dare you? Yeah. How, well, I didn't say how dare you, but that was definitely the tone. I so, think you probably owe some money to Phil's swear jar. <laughs> totally totally um yes in fact yes i do but um so you know he was just really kind of real close to us last night and like ah so we we just said why why don't we just skip school it's fall break yeah, next week terrifying. here oh my i can't even i can't even begin if i suspect on no biblical hey, or empirical evidence whatsoever that guardian angels are real. Hmm. Uh, and he is proof. Yes, son. Yes, he is holding up my flip-flops in his hands. Fantastic, Seth Thomas. Let Tim and I talk. Okay. And then ahead, we'll go yeah, to Chick-fil-A. All right? No tickles. No eruptions. All right? Tim. Hey, Tim. Hey, Tim, what is it? We already hit the music, son. Please, well, one more. One, one more, one more time. All right, we're, all right, say it again. Poop, hit that music. Hit that music. <laughs> <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, we have for you, it's already 
already out of control, but we have for you an episode <laughs> that is unlike any episode we've done. Um, we are talking about the Netflix show series, seven episodes, mini series called Midnight Mass. Yeah. Now, as a pastor who works for a church, <laughs> I cannot officially recommend this because there is all sorts of there are all sorts of shenanigans. Shenanigans. Uh, Phil's, Phil's swear jar would be full. Yes. There are um, there is some gore. Uh, it's not horrible, but there is some gore. That's true. Um, um, and it, you can just look at the poster. It's kind of a sinister, like it's in the horror genre. So I'm not officially recommending it. But, but we're going to spend a whole episode talking about it. But we're going to spend a whole episode talking about it. Exactly. <laughs> and so we've invited our friend Caitlin uh, Scheiss from the Holy Post. We've been Twittering back and forth about this show. Um, it is, uh, I, I don't know, Tim, how you would talk about it. I would say I've not, hello, Seth, I've not been as profoundly affected by a, I don't know, television series, I don't know if ever. Um, there was something so profound that happens in the midst of that. And the horror genre is used as a vehicle to explore yep. so many I of the it. things that we're exploring on the podcast. We just thought, all right, we're going to do class, a whole. I think I've mentioned on here before, that's the class I've always wanted to teach because horror used to be used as a vehicle to com as a commentary on like social injustices and different things. And, Right. Like there's a big thing with the Night of the Living Dead, the original one, that, that right. it's a black yeah. man that survives and is shot by the police. And right. all the way up until like we got to the slasher genre, that was always horror was this way of looking at society and using, you know, quote unquote, the horrors of society through the vehicles of monsters and different things. And we're back into that era with like Jordan Peele doing, you know, Get oh, Out and Us and totally. Ari Aster and these guys doing these movies that are really hard to watch, but talk yeah. about PTSD and grief and shame. And, and this just opens up a whole can of worms. Oh my goodness. I would love to be a defense against the dark arts te teacher as well. I think that you would are. be a lot of fun. I think you are in, in your own way. I'm going to start wearing some like snape robes to my in your English class. And, yeah. 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 I, I say, why not? I, I'm surprised you I, haven't I, already. I was wearing all black yesterday, so I'm just oh, once perfect. removed. But purple today with a yellow sort of sweater. So that's, <laughs> again, Timothy's wardrobe choices um, are worth comment, commenting on always. But listen, if you haven't seen the show, um, we are going to talk about it as if you had. Mm -hmm. So um, Yeah, I was thinking we didn't give a summary of the show at all for anyone that was... No, and, and, no. and yeah, and I don't think we, we can give a summary that does justice to it other than yeah. you just have to watch it. Now that buckle up. There's still stuff here. If you're not going to watch the show, there is a lot that yeah. is in here that is good, particularly from Tim and Caitlin. Um, and so I think that episode is still worth listening to for sure. Absolutely. If you've, because it, it may motivate you to watch the show. Um, so yes, it, you don't need to have watched the show. There's still some incredible stuff worth exploring. Um, if you really want to appreciate the episode, obviously watch some of it. <laughs> but we, we spoil the heck out of the thing. So from this Spoiler point forward, alert. yes, yes, you have been warned. DJ, um, whatever on Twitter that got so mad about spoiling Endgame. Oh yes, just oh, get, I, ready. Yep. get ready. Get ready. Prepared. 
Yes. There are massive was he on spoilers. Twitter or did he leave us a re- review? Oh, it was a remember. review on iTunes. That's right. Yeah. We spoiled Endgame, which, yeah. That's unforgivable. Sorry. That is unforgivable. So there the aren't many. Warning. There, maybe that was the unforgivable sin Jesus was referencing. I think it, it was. could be. But we all are that the is to say, gauntlet. all that is to say, this is a way different episode. We're literally talking and offering commentary on this episode because of the religious themes therein. Um, we're not it officially record- really interesting theological conversations. Oh my goodness! Yeah, ridiculous. So anyway, tune in, check it out. And um, we'd love to hear what you think. Seth? Yes? You want to tell everybody what's in store for us today? Uh, Yeah! All right. Tell everybody who's on this Zoom call right now. It's Tim Stafford. It's Kira. It's Caitlin. Caitlin. Caitlin Shess. Caitlin Shess, everybody. Yep, Caitlin <laughs> Shess, everybody. She, Caitlin is famous. She wrote a book, uh, The Liturgy of Politics, which is fantastic. She is, are you official co-host of the Holy Post? Occasional, yeah. Occasional, okay. But it's not, I mean, are you like, is there a song about you yet? There is a song about me. Okay. The internet was so upset that now right. there's a song about me. That's right. <laughs> as, there, as there should be. Now let's just be clear about that. Okay. Hey, Tim. Uh, yeah. Guess what? What? The basic guess for you. What a is surprise. it? Surprise. You have a surprise for you. It's from a please. Drum roll, please. <laughs> hey, there was a. Hit that music. Thank you, Seth Theory. <laughs> so that is Seth being home today. And, um, man, how can you not take advantage of that sweet voice? Um, all right, guys, we have so much to talk about. Um, as we have just said, uh, nothing is off limits. And um, if you haven't watched Midnight Mass yet, then we're going to spoil it rotten for you. We are yeah, just going to talk. Tune out now. <laughs> yep, tune out now. Um, or go watch it and then in eight hours come back. And because um, and, it's seven hours and then with bathroom breaks uh, and then come back and finish <laughs> the rest of this. Caitlin, let's just talk about first our responses to it. All right. Mm. Um, so what was your just initial emotive response as it was unfolding? Mm. Yeah. So when I, I saw that it was coming out and I saved it because I was immediately I like Mike Flanagan. I've loved his mm. series is on Netflix. Um, I like scary. That's not like too scary. And so I was like, I think I'll like this. I saw that it looked very religiously inflected and was like a hundred percent in on that. But I, I sort of had the expectation that that would be just kind of like a prop. Like, you know, Mm. it's not uncommon Mm. for horror to be like, Oh, there's a church and a priest and it's creepy, but that's the full (laughs) extent of the religious stuff. And so when I watched the first episode, I was kind of like, I don't know. I live alone too. So I was kind of like, if it's oh, too man. scary, we might stop. I might only watch it in the middle of the day, you know. But I watched the first one and was not sure if I would keep going. And then it was so serious about the religious elements. Like there was liturgical details, there was theology, there was like, you know, they there was sermons that were like actually just like in like most of the sermon was in the show. And that's yeah. when I was like, okay, this is important and I want to keep going. And then by the end, I think it really hit me that not only was there all of those kind of details, like they took seriously 
the material for the plot of being at a church. But by the end, I was like, oh, no, just like the theology of this is so deep and important. Not just the conversations about theology that happened, but the the whole kind of arc of it is so theological. Um, it also messed with me a little bit emotionally by the end. It was like the ending is so stark that I really it was helpful. I think that was the intended purpose, yeah. right? It was yep. to just leave you sort of like, what do I do with <laughs> yeah. that? And yes. I, appre- I appreciate that as a posture that you, someone wants to intentionally put me in. And it worked. That's oh, where that's I was. So I was good. like, what do I do with this? Yes. What about you, Timothy John? Same. I, I like Flanagan and I liked his shows a lot. I thought The Haunting of Hill House was really good. And yeah. <clears throat> especially as someone who's a big Henry Thomas fan, mm-hmm. just because of growing up with E.T., I like uh, seeing yeah. him get new work and do you know what that is? New territory. Caitlin, do you know what that is? E. I know what E.T. is. Okay. Do you, <laughs> yeah. do you know the movie reference at all? I haven't seen it, but I'm aware of okay. it. Okay. You've never seen E.T.? No. Oh. It's okay. You don't. Homework. Well. Okay. okay. I mean, it's a great, it's a great, I mean, it's one of the best movies ever made. Is, is Anywho, it is Oh, it yes, it is, Mike. Be quiet. Wow. And then uh, I wasn't aware of Midnight Mass until our mutual friend, Matt Miller, texted me and said, hey, you need to check this out. And so I turned it on and I had the same hesitation, too, where I saw the priest on the art. And I was like, this is such a it, normally such a ha- uh, shallow trope used in horror that I was instantly not interested. And I didn't know it was Flanagan at that point. I just saw mm. the title. And then I started, he's like, you got you to gotta give this a run. So I did it. And then I binged straight through it. And then I was hesitant. I'm always hesitant with horror because I love horror. I'm always hesitant to A, suggest it to anybody because mm. most people can't do it. Yeah. And B, I was hesitant to bring it up with Mike. I was like, I think this would be fun to talk about, but I don't know if you'll watch this. And he's like, dude, I'm on the last episode. Don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was divine. <laughs> it was. I saw a tweet um, that must have come after episode three where somebody had just said, oh, Midnight Mass is that kind of show. Totally. And I was like, oh, well, that, okay. I don't know what that means. I'm thankful for no context. But that kind of made me interested. And as it's unfolding, I just kept shouting um at the television is so many things i mean yeah we'll get into what specifics but i i I was like oh my goodness i've never seen the inversion of christianity so beautifully portrayed Mm. as an act of fidelity as if it were an act of fidelity to the real thing Mm. oh i was i just i absolutely went crazy so um there was loads of shouting there was um (laughs) There was pausing and rewinding as I made my poor wife sit through. Oh, but then did you did you did you, did you see? And, and yeah, and, and and with you, Caitlin, I was so impressed with the utter seriousness with which they took the priestly vocation yeah. and uh, the sacramental approach. Uh, I mean, it was it was unreal. So, uh, what were? Let's just start super broad. Caitlin, we'll start with you. But what were a couple of things? that made mm. this um, an unsettling experience? What were, mm. what were some of the things that sort of left you like, okay, so what do we do with this? What were some of the pieces of that? I think part of it was that it was really unsettling in the midst of it 
to watch how easily a religious community that in some ways I very much recognized, I'm not Catholic, but I, I recognize certain features of it, how easily a religious community could just take something really evil and find a way to justify it so quickly. <laughs> like yep, there's yep. like the scenes when they start to realize like, oh no, there's something very evil in our community. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and actually that's been a part of our faith the whole time and it's fine. And like, yeah. we'll find, we'll find very quickly. I mean, the, the move of here's a bunch of Bible verses, especially revelation, especially oh. some sort of like vague prophetic kind of things. And it suddenly justifies everything. And I recognize that move of like, it could be a vampire, it could be Donald Trump, it could be sexual abuse in my church, whatever it is, all of a sudden, we found a way to use our language and symbols and community to justify incorporating yes. this evil thing into yes. our community. And that that's unsettling before you even get to the end. Like even just along the way, there's uncomfortable moments of like, oh, that's not just a horror, like that. this isn't an imaginary thing that yeah, could happen yeah. to a community. This is a real thing that happens to communities. And then I think similarly to that, the ease with which this evil thing was perfectly content to adopt all of our religious symbols and language to justify itself. And that felt too close to home <laughs> to be like, mm. I will just pick up this form you have left for me that yep. sometimes you yourself have taken out the transcendent content content of it. And I'm happy to fill it with this other kind of transcendent idea and just take it up and use it for myself. And then with the way that it ends, where it's just like total destruction of this community and church, yep. it is sort of like, well, what do what happens in real life when that happens to a community and also what happens to the two kids in a boat at the end <laughs> that right. are leaving that community behind like i feel some sort of like resonance with those two people getting out of you know getting out of a really destructive community that has burned itself up and getting across on this tiny little boat but then the last the very last line of the whole thing which is so wild to me yes. is when this young girl who's been paralyzed suddenly says to the person in the boat with her I can't feel my legs anymore. Yeah. And this thing that was miraculous, this thing that was like healing and hopeful is actually weirdly hopeful again. Like she's kind of smiling yes. when she says it. It's like, yeah. actually, I got out of this evil place, this destructive place. Right. And I'm actually weirdly happy to be leaving it, even though I can't feel my legs anymore. And what yeah. to do with like the suffering inherent in that is also yeah. its own just like <laughs> uncomfortable I mean, that's kind of horrifying in a different sort of way. It's like, you know, terrible to think about. Yes. Yes. I was mapping how perfectly the vampire mythos uh, mapped onto the good news of Jesus. It right. Was so genius. The, the, yeah, it was genius. So the vampire is yeah. an angel genius. The gospel is eternal life. Um, and the covering of sin, right? Because the priest introduces the vampire yep. for the sake of the affair and his daughter. And the gospel's eternal life. And even in his Easter sermon, I mean, that's the promise, right? The promise is eternal life. And I mean, it's just it, it, resurrection. I mean, it's midnight mass, but the day before Easter, um, you know, communion is the blood of this vampire. I mean, it's unbelievably. And then, and then they end up eating literal flesh. Yep. You know, after they die and resurrect, <laughs> you know, and, and faith um, is this, it's this sacrificial step of dying, literal dying in order to be, I mean, it, it mapped, the miracles mm. were so seductive, 
but yeah. yet they were perverted into this uh, in order to grab a hold of them you had to you had to literally do the exact opposite of what it was that you know Jesus was talking about when he talks about the flesh and the blood and so and then and then the and then there's this faith and science element that is yeah. captured by Aaron and Riley uh, Riley unconverts as, yeah. as he's in prison and comes back to the community Aaron unconverts as she starts after losing her baby and they have this big conversation about what happens when you die. And she's like, Which no, genius. this genius. And yes, and the baby's welcomed into open arms. And then at the end, I mean, this was the part that I thought was so crazy. You get a glimpse into what Flanagan really thinks mm. uh, about the state of the world. When Aaron mm. kind of through this narr- you know, this voiceover is, is talking about how it's all one, the universe is dreaming. And then she says, I am that I, that am. I am. Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh my goodness, there it is. <laughs> Timothy, what, what was unsettling for you is in the midst of all that? Well, all the stuff, uh, Caitlin, that you just said with the, I mean, so epitomized in Bev who. Oh, um, sweet Bev. Which the poor woman she played that so well. I've, I've noticed other actors coming on Twitter and being like, Hey, she is a sweetheart. Like she is like, she's just that good of an actress. Cause people I think are just like, I have found the new face of evil to hate in the world. Yeah. And it is yeah. Bev. Yeah. But she, the way she would use pervert scripture in real time, like when she was mm-hmm. like, walks into a scene and sees the carnage is like, okay. Yep. Uh, and you watch her gears turn and click and be like, Oh, this is exactly what this scripture is speaking to. And this is da 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 And you're like, oh man, I have watched that in real time in the real world. Yeah. And it's terrifying. I also, um, I love that it didn't end in red bows, that there was consequences. Everybody faced the consequences of what happened in the village. And the two kids were kind of like a full circle of Riley and Aaron, right? The two mm-hmm. kids that left town the first way, but... Ooh, that's didn't good. leave for the best reasons and then came back and carried all of that with them, the weight yeah. of the decision-making process they went to, but we're looking somewhat, in some ways, looking for a, what does it mean to come home again? And then these two kids being uh, literally on the boat, leaving town, sitting there looking like, what's what do we do now? It's like a, it's an uh, arc. Like yeah, Bev our, referred to yeah. that. Yeah. The Brick Center is the arc. Will our, de- will our decisions or our course be different than the people that came before us? Because that's part of the thing is the cyclical there's so much cyclical imagery and language like i really want to hear your guys thoughts on uh the fact that monsignor was on the damascus road that that's where his revelation happens like and he comes back as father paul yes <laughs> i mean there's just like so what's the because i i've read flanagan was catholic growing up is an atheist now yeah uh but it's interesting you know caitlin as you mentioned like how much he tried to be like intentional and real with the with like the the presentation of the theology and of church and you know because usually the the uh they will use christianity to to it's always used in a way of like just a trope in itself too usually in in these mm-hmm. movies so mm-hmm. the fact that he gave so much like space you know on the soundtrack was bananas with the hymns and like oh my goodness yeah i don't know there's a lot in there yeah the paul thing i i really 
I'd been thinking before I watched it about the parallels between, because I've been listening to the Mars Hill um, podcast. Yeah. Mm. And I've been thinking a lot. I've been waiting for that podcast to talk about Mars Hill in the Bible and like Paul speaking against idolatry on Mars Hill. And like, I keep thinking of parallels between what it means to be the kind of person who hears revelation from God on behalf of God's people and feels a desire to share it with them for their own good mm. versus someone who like creates their own hill to be on top of everyone else and look down on them and be the voice of God for those people and how mm -hmm. weirdly close <laughs> those things are. Like it's, there's, it, there's something too close for comfort for me between someone who legitimately is serving God's people and trying to give, you know, I do have, a relationship with God and I want to share with you what I've learned from it to I am the voice of God and no one else can. And I felt like there was something similar happening with Father Paul, who's actually Monsignor in this whole series of like, he is so close to trying to just be earnestly doing the right thing with the new thing that has happened that he has no other way to incorporate into his larger theology. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's not until like that moment when you know he's trying to get into the church and Bev's trying to like decide who gets to be saved in the Ark of the Rec Center, that he goes like, "We are the monsters! Like, what have I done that I have put every? You have all just followed me along blindly, and now I realize this horrible thing that I've done." And it just it highlighted for me that similar thing. We are with the Mar wolves. Mars Hill. Yes. Yeah, we are the wolves. Yes, of just like. You, it, there's such the, the line between trying so hard to do the right thing and lead people in the right direction, um, and then actually leading them into just some monstrosity is that like that's a really fine line that I don't know we spend enough time mm -hmm. thinking about what it would look like to cross that line until like the only reason he realizes he's crossed the line is because the whole town is vampires now. Yeah. <laughs> like, when would you have realized earlier in your ministry that you have crossed? The line when everyone you're doing miracles that people love and people yeah. are you know affirming that you are this yeah. amazing leader and the church is growing and the church is growing and yeah. like when would you have a moment to listen to anyone else or to hear in your own conscience i have well, crossed and the, the line and the only one that sees this is uh mildred right is that her name her character name gunning the the older lady with yeah. dementia that kind of reverse ages remember she goes in and says that's not yeah that's not my church that's not father paul and 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 you know as as you backtrack and you realize oh she she was the only eyewitness to the before and after mm -hmm. because um in her state she remember she looked out the window once and said i i thought i saw yeah. your dad yeah. um out the window yeah. like all of that was like totally foreshadowed so she was the only one saying no 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 this is this is not there's a before and after here and and like in the mars hill saga no one listened to those people yeah you know what i mean and so it's there's it's absolutely tragic there's also i think the other person who sort of sees it but in a very different way than her is riley who mm. like the whole time is sort of suspicious of everything. And the first time he's suspicious, when he's suspicious of Lisa being healed, you're kind of annoyed at him. Like, yeah. yes, we get it. You're an atheist, but like this amazing thing happened. You have to be so antagonistic about it, you know? Mm -hmm. But that there's the suspicion about Father Paul and about what's happening. And then in the end, when he, you know, becomes a vampire too and has to make this choice about what to do and sacrifices himself for the sake of, you know, his community, there's a sense in which all of his past doubting and his sin and his trauma and all of those experiences, actually the thing that could make him a 
liability to the church actually made him an asset if they had listened to him. Like he, what yeah. he was given by those experiences, the eyes to see what was really happening to the point actually of like theologically seeing what was right. Like the fact that the letter he leaves for the Monsignor is, you are, yes. you are destined to dust, you will return. It's like, <laughs> no, you don't just see that there's something evil here. You actually see how this is a, a, a tangled, perverted version of your own theology. Like you're not staying true to what you actually believe. And I'm actually the, the atheist is the one who can see that because he's experienced all the things he's experienced is really like, I think some Christians might see that and be annoyed by that, but there's something true for us of like, are we listening to people who have doubted and hurt yeah. and might have eyes to oh, see things so that good. we don't see? Well, think about and, and Tim, I'm sorry. I know you're ready to jump in, but no, think, I'm who, just listening. think about the, the, who are the heroes that self-sacrifice, right? The Muslim sheriff, and his son comes back around. Yeah. Um, the lesbian daughter, the atheist Riley who sacrifices himself, and then the single mom who's kind of deconverting throughout the whole thing, right? All of the people outside of the recognized religious establishment are the ones who see the evil, and all the ones that are inside until you know Father Paul sort of wakes up. They don't see it. And so I, I thought, you know, when everyone is terrified of the sunrise, except for the Muslim yeah. who is, you know, praying to the east, I just thought, oh my goodness, what a, what a juxtaposition of who the, who the heroes are and who the villains mm. are. As Bev is digging a hole, trying to hide, and is furious, um, here's this faithful Muslim man who you know, has been shot in self-sacrifice. I just thought that was super interesting that the, mm -hmm. the outsiders are the ones who are more Christian than the insiders, right? Something that obviously we see in the gospels all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, and he did, you, I, I would love to see the writer's room on the show or if there was or how he like, what his process was. Because even the stuff you read online about how they treated the sheriff's faith and his son and how uh, how he tried to pay attention and do everything correctly and represent it correctly in the show mm -hmm. so that everything i think it's just so it's just such smart writing to not let there be like christians can't necessarily pick at a lot of it because there's enough truth in it and enough real aspects of it to be like you know, instead of misrepresenting things and giving people toeholds to throw the whole thing out, it seems like he was meticulous in presenting everything mm. as well as he could so that it wouldn't be a distractor from the story. Mm. And then even with the vampire stuff, like, uh, Caitlin, you brought it up, like he normally, you know, normally vampires can't step into churches or they're affected by crosses or holy water, all this different stuff. But the fact that the vampire takes on all that stuff is was a really oh. smart and fun twist. Oh, and no yeah. one ever calls it a vampire either. So that's also kind of fun because yeah. it's a little bit ambiguous in the way that it's presented. And I mean, through the whole first part, you're like, I know it's not an angel, but I'm not sure what he's saying <laughs> about, you know, I don't know what Flanagan was going to say after the first three or four episodes. I still was like, yeah. he's building this world and we're all kind of realizing it alongside of Riley and Aaron to a certain extent. So it's... Mm. It's really, it was really, I just thought it was so well, it was so well thought out in a respectful way to be able to deliver the story in a, the most effective way it could have been delivered. Mm. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting, I mean, when, when the vampire is there, the scene where the vampire is in the gold vestments. Yeah. 
and the priest is in front of him <laughs> holding the communion cup, then you know it's now the vampire's blood beckoning people to eternal life, but they have to die to themselves first. I mean, could there be a more vivid image of the anxieties that non-evangelical people have about <laughs> Christianity? Like the, the devastating takeaway of the whole series for me was that it tapped in perfectly to how people see the church. Like, mm. and I know that's the no duh statement of the day, but it, it mapped the, the anxieties that, that so many who've you know, left or been hurt by, or even are just observing outside. It seemed like it tapped perfectly into that, um, uh, that, that sort of fear of this is what some good, some evil people can do in the name of being right. And in seeking to help mm. everybody else, you know, Caitlin, I well, know you had referenced that. Time period where that's been like apocalyptic that we've looked back on the last couple of years of just revealing stuff about the church, and to know that he was developing this before the pandemic even started, but it becomes a story where there are viral elements to it, and mm -hmm. there's quarantine elements to it, and oh, totally. there's a fever pitch of like conspiracy kind of stuff and building religious zealots or zealotry into like, I don't know, it's just, there's so much to pick at and unpack in the whole thing. Is I just, it would be like, instead of watching like a Left Behind movie or those terrible Jesus films, I would love to sit in a church and watch this <laughs> and discuss it through, maybe at the First Church of Golgotha. <laughs> The role of the miraculous is really interesting in this. Um, Caitlin, how did you how did you process sort of the miraculous as seen by the atheist, the miraculous as seen by the Muslim, the miraculous as seen by Bev? Mm. That seems to be this really weird, like there's a seduction to it, and and yet some resist, some don't. How were you processing that as you went along? Yeah, I mean, I I thought one of the more like poignant moments of the whole show was when the sheriff is talking to his son about the miracle. And he's, he's basically saying like, here's the story of your mother and how God could have apparently intervened and just saved her. And he didn't, and she was good and faithful. And, and so God doesn't work that way. Like this isn't how things happen. And so there must be something else going on than this miracle that happened there. And on one, there's like a part of me that doesn't totally believe that because I do believe God is is capable and does at times enter into normal events in history and change things and do miraculous things. But there's also something very true there of pushing back against the kind of prosperity gospel sort of mentality, mm -hmm. pushing back against, I mean, even Bev to her credit sort of says something like this earlier too, when the people are coming and saying like, you know, heal my sick husband or wife. And she's like, that's not how God works. Of course she does it in like a self-righteous annoying way, yeah. but both yeah. of them just trying to say like, this is mysterious. This God doesn't work in kind of the ways that we would expect. You don't pop in a quarter and get out a gumball or you don't, you know, you don't pray hard enough or have enough faith and then you're healed. But I, I think the fact, again, to bring it back to the very ending, there's something really poignant there about whether you believe, whether you're a Christian who believes God does miracles, whether you're an atheist who doesn't believe that, there's something really poignant about the reality that this thing that looked like a perfect justification of whatever this priest is about to do next, right? He healed this girl. Not only did he heal this paralyzed girl, but he healed this really faithful, you know, kind girl who is like perfectly innocent, 
was shot by a guy who's very easily the bad guy, right? He's the drunk. He seems awful. He clearly doesn't know how to ask for her forgiveness or talk to her or whatever. The whole town really doesn't like him. This is like the perfect story of the innocent, faithful person that deserves to be healed. And yet that miracle is the predecessor of all of this evil. And when she gets on the boat to leave this place that has been so destructive and awful, she sort of smiles when she says she can't feel her legs anymore. And there is some something there about not to kind of be, um, you know, weird about like, we should just suffer. That's the answer. You know, everything just is, everything's horrible. And that's the end. I do think God wants our flourishing, especially ultimately, eternally, um, but there's something poignant there about how easily we can misinterpret what's happening as an act of God when it's not. And actually things that look like flourishing, that look like miracles could actually be hiding something really destructive and evil. And that sometimes our experience of very everyday banal sorts of evil and suffering might actually be a place where we find hope and communion with God. And I know that that, that last bit of hope is probably not what he's really going for at the end, but that's what I saw in it was like, Wow, the fact that you can recognize that what happened to you wasn't the miracle that you thought that it was, but there's still hope in what you're going through, even though you can't feel your legs anymore. That's something I think that's something remarkably Christian. Yeah, mm. I'm curious what his, if you were to ask him, because it does feel hopeful. I'm curious if you were to ask him as the writer, what it what what does this like what does this mean to you? Where yeah. where do you land with this, knowing where his faith journey has been? The other stuff too is like I think it's, oh, I lost it. <laughs> I had it and it went away. No, that's all right. It'll, it'll, it'll come back. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to pick up Caitlin because that, and, and interrupt him as soon as you, as soon as it hits back. Um, I want to pick up, uh, up on something I think so important and, and it parallels. I've not listened to the Mars Hill podcast. I lived through it. Um, that mm. I had, I had friends Pastor friends and I broke fellowship over whether Driscoll was all that he claimed to be. There's this American pragmatism that is capitalistic and consumeristic and individualistic that just renders blindly that anything growing or big is successful. Yeah. Um, and if it's small and tiny, um, it's not successful. And, and, you know, Driscoll, but evangelicalism so plays into that. And I love I thought you made just a brilliant point there. The miracles, um, we are so easily duped by things that we think are working because mm. of our pragmatism and consumerism, right? Hey, I'm experiencing, like how could, how how in the world could yeah. like like a girl walking be a bad thing? And you realize what what Lisa is delivered from is the is the false promise of salvation, right? Which didn't include her suffering into the true promise of salvation, which was escape from the judgment of the sunshine, yeah. uh, but at the cost of her legs. And you almost see her sort of render a judgment on herself saying, well, that trade-off mm. was worth it. Yeah, uh, you know, oh, that's what it was. Yeah. It was about the miracles. Like I, I've never seen a miracle in my life. I have no frame of reference on how to engage that kind of language or theology. Um, but as we've talked about on the podcast before, like I have, watched you know from the pulpit people use um prayers about healing and that kind of stuff and say oh god healed 
so-and-so from X, Y, and Z while other people were praying for the same thing and died of cancer at the same time or something. And it creates this precedent in the room that no one wants to speak out loud about, about God chose to heal this person, God chose not to heal this person. And then these people are dealing with, well, did I pray incorrectly? Um, God chose them, not me. And it's so it's like the miracle or whatever you want to call it creates like this really difficult conversation that is not being had openly about what does all that really mean and so like when you watch these miracles in the show it's like everybody wants to believe that god will make a a young girl who got shot in the spine stand up and walk right like everybody wants to believe that it's great and wonderful and it writes a horrendous wrong but when you pull the thread anytime you pull the thread on those things and the thread is real short it's it begs a longer conversation about like what do we really think what is the role of the spirit in healing uh, what is our true understanding of what all that kind of stuff means and i think these kind of a show like this kind of or should and is great if it does provoke us having deeper conversations about what that stuff means because we do take it and spin it like we're spin doctors in that way with that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. it gets it that spin is real short and it mm. excludes and like, you know, alienates a lot of people, which it would be the opposite of, I don't know, I would yeah. imagine the intent of helping a young girl walk again. Mm. Right, right. The, one of the executive producers, or maybe the executive producer, talked about, and it was in like a short sort of vignette, he said, faith is a signpost to who you are and what you fear. And I thought that was brilliant. So what does so if you go through some of the characters, what what do they fear? What does Bev fear? Um, what does Riley fear? What does what does Father Paul fear? Like I'd love your thoughts on on that idea mm. uh, um, that fear plays such a prominent role in justifying the actions of everybody. You know, one of the most I've already said this once, so I'm just going to, maybe every time I talk, I'll say this was one of the most poignant moments of the show, (laughs) but truly, I think another one of the most poignant moments was when um, it's Riley's mom, I think, is talking to Bev or no, it's, um, who is it? That's talking to Bev when she's like coming out to distract them. Yeah, it's Riley's mom. Oh, it is Riley's mom. Yeah. Riley's mom goes out to distract Bev. Yes. And she's giving this speech to Bev about like, why does it offend you so much that God loves everyone else as much as God loves you? Yes. That God loves Riley, who got drunk and killed this woman accidentally, as much as he loves you, Bev, who is so faithful and goes to church every single day and whatever. And I think the reason that was so poignant to me was not only because she finally, someone finally says something to Bev. Oh, <laughs> just like, you Lord. are awful. You are not the good person you think you are. Yeah. But I think it's also poignant because like, She's not like Bev's not actually wrong that that's an offensive idea. Like Bev is correct that it's offensive to most of us that like God loves people who do really horrible things just as much as he loves. Maybe not Bev who seems, you know, ostensibly horrible, but <laughs> but God loves God loves the the drunk guy who shot Lisa as much as he loves Lisa. Like yep. that's offensive to me now. Like that's an yep. offensive idea and in a weird way like I would also in a church want to show that clip and be like, are we grappling with the reality of grace? We talk about grace a lot. We don't talk about it as offensive as it actually is. That's something that Bev is afraid of to the point where 
she's willing to be like, yeah, whoever I decide isn't worthy doesn't make it into the rec center. And whoever, and suddenly I am like the voice of judgment and reason, even to the point where she spent all of this time going along with whatever Father Paul does or Monsignor. And then the second that he shows some doubt in the project she's committed to, it's like, oh, all of a sudden I sound weirdly Protestant. (laughs) And I'm like, nope, (laughs) the priests are bad news. Let's get out of here. I'm going to keep doing the project I've been doing. It's like, that's motivated by a fear or also just like a sense of disgust at the idea that God loves people who don't deserve it. And that's actually a really mm. like profound presentation of the Christian faith. Yeah. yeah and you look oh. at that with the parallels that you brought up earlier with the Mars Hill stuff yeah. and, and how, you know, you're listening to those interviews of the congregate or people from the staff were being like, yes, we were the wolves. And it's like, and Driscoll kind of being the person that's like, I decide, you know, I oh, mean, I had an interesting mm-hmm. conversation with a friend yesterday about, um, a, a church that we used to be a part of th- that I didn't know, but the pastor was orchestrating courtship stuff, like mm. help. And he like put himself into the position of like building courtships between young people. And I was like, it's, and when you listen to it played out what that looks like, it's such culty oh, my Lord. <laughs> behavior and language is kind of wild. Yep. Yep. It, it's yeah it's it what did you think of the opening shot of the ichthus on the car juxtaposed with the fact that he just killed somebody with that oh. and right right i mean literally the opening shot is of the ichthus with sirens and then they yeah, pan to the wreck and i was like dude that's the series in microcosm yeah you know right there the innocent um, the innocent sort of suffer because of the ignorance of the the religious. Well, now's the thing too is like I wasn't picking up or I wasn't concentrating as much on fear as I was on like the way that Riley carried his shame with him and he couldn't fall asleep until he pictured mm. the girl's yeah. face every time and how that enabled him to go be in this boat on the water. And the same thing with Joe that he carried around all the shame of shooting Lisa and didn't like the scene with him and Lisa, it, that guy was such a good actor. When the in the trailer, when she comes to forgive him, but kind of confronts him first, yeah, and he's just kind of quivering, but he carries his shame with him until he's kind of released from it, and so it's uh, the shame stuff. I thought was really interesting. Mm. Like they needed that shame to they needed their shame to continue forward. Yeah, like it was like that wound that you had to pick at to give you motivation to kind of, I don't know. So that that was one of the things that I was looking more or that kept resonating with me more than fear. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I, 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 that's so good. I, but I was thinking of Bev, obviously fear of the Muslim. Um, And power to, of not having power. She was so afraid of like losing stature or losing position. Control. Yeah. Yeah. But I was, I was thinking about father Paul's fear. Um, cause his fear really drives the whole show. I mean, his fear is what drove, you know, him to put that in a trunk and right. The, the, it's almost the covering of his sin mm. that he gets a second mm. chance, right? That was the whole thing when he has yeah. this conversation with the much younger Mildred, he's like, it's, well, I did this for you. I did this for you. A second chance, you know, yeah. damn the cost, but it was the, the sin of the priest that then infected yeah. the whole community which I thought was, um, and, and again, the priest 
was complicit and wasn't. I mean, he thought this was a gift. And I think he was sincere in that false belief, which makes it even more scary. Mm. Right. But how often do the do the sin of clergy then in a very similar way destroy? Does that destroy community and builds, you know, people, people for and against? Those are Seth noises. No, you're, you're, he, you know, literally polluted the water, so to speak. Like, I mean, he yeah. polluted yeah. the blood of the entire yeah. church. No. Well, honey, did you want to say something? Yeah. OK, real quick. Real quick. Yeah. Work quick. Okay, go ahead. Um, Tim, so thank you so much. Tim, thank you so much. For what? And for me. For me. Um, <laughs> and you, my sister. And you, my sister, you. Caitlin, thank you. Kira, thank you. Caitlin, thank you. Thank you um, for Seth, you big, sweet heart. Thank you for Seth Erie being a big sweetheart. Oh, <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen. But Seth, what do you think of vampires? I, I like fire trucks. You like fire trucks. All right, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Probably the best response out of all of them. Um, so if you were, so if you were describing this, uh, what would you say about it to a religious audience? What would you say about it to a non-religious audience? Mm. Like why? Why it sh- the lessons therein should be attended to? It's funny because I I tweeted about it and I was like I'm not recommending it, but also this is really interesting. <laughs> That's exactly how I said it. <laughs> and then the the amount of people I didn't expect who are more conservative than me to be like, oh, I started watching it, and then the first few episodes, I think they were like, wow, it's really interesting, and then later they were like, what what is happening <laughs> like with this? Um, but the thing that frustrated me because I did get a lot of messages that were like, um, this like I think people were surprised it didn't end with like a Christian message. Right. Like they were freaked out a little bit by the vampire turn, but then it was really the very ending, the like people yeah. singing the hymn together and then bam, burned up as vampires that really bothered them, which I understand. I think it's supposed to bother you, but they were sort of expecting like a Christian happy ending tied up in a bow sort of thing. And the thing I kept telling people was, why would we not want to listen to a bunch of characters or the voices of writers or a director who are telling us how they experience the church and the sources of disillusionment that they have in it. And also really remarkably from this, the questions and like the places of connection, like the fact that we get that conversation with Riley um, and Aaron, mm-hmm. where she's talking about her desire that her unborn child that has is gone now was was brought into the presence of just love of not being oh, alone. She, she was so good. Like she was so good. That was such a beautiful, like poignant meeting of those two perspectives, both told so like sympathetically and authentically. It wasn't like an angry atheist and a dis, you know, a kind of like pie in the sky Christian. It was like two people really grappling with the reality of suffering and what to do with it and their own responsibility and their own guilt and their own, like you said to him, shame. And um, why would we not want to listen to the places where there's disillusionment and also the places where that might be a source of connection? Like there's an honesty in this whole show about where people struggle with the idea of God and suffering. There's also a real like point of this is what people are hungry for. Like there's a reason all these people show up when there's a healing. We can't promise people a physical healing like that, but is there some other need that they're showing us that we can attend to really like powerfully? Um, I don't know what I would say to non-Christians necessarily, but to Christians, I would just be like, of course this should be something you would want to see. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Tim? 
I <laughs> said, like in my, I mentioned before in my classes, I teach at a Christian university and they were talking about shows that they're binging. I was like, I can't tell any of you to watch this, but <laughs> I think it provokes it. So my thing with both Christians and non-Christians is exactly the same. I think I'm like, you should watch this and I'd love to talk to you about it because I think it provokes mm. really interesting conversations. And like with what you just said, they there's something weird that's like a subconscious or a in the background thing with Christians that we, it's like we don't consider ourselves human anymore. Hmm. And we like, whoa, we, well, we, so when it comes to like what we might consider normal everyday human suffering or, or temptation or whatever, we kind of sometimes navigate in this bubble that we are immune to that stuff. And so I think it's so interesting. Like there's a moment with the, with Riley's mom and I can't remember who it's with that they're confronting her on something and she gets flustered because there's not an answer and she gets angry. Oh, it's with Aaron and she slaps yeah. Aaron. Oh yeah. And you, it's, and I know that reaction. I've, I've yeah. seen it so many times where I try to have a conversation about something that maybe doesn't fit into the evangelical mold. And when that thread is short, the response is like anger mm. instead of having a conversation about like, like you said, like Aaron and Riley having this like mutual respect conversation about what they understand, what their, what their kind of story brings to that couch is profound and beautiful. And it's these beautiful monologues about the cosmos and yeah. her, her child entering into the warmth of God's arms and all It's just a, really beautiful some people were complaining about the monologues and i was like the monologues are like yeah shakespearean in the way that they give a moment to pause and let the characters reflect in that way but i think that i i really appreciate and i love the fact that the the christian's inability to reconcile with being kind of normal humans leads to them becoming vampires yeah like the, the road Not doesn't human. lead to enlightenment it leads to becoming possibly what they would fear the most yeah and while while gaining you know eternal life and you know hypothetically they're gaining eternal life through becoming vampires they're and they're begin mm -hmm. they're becoming healed all these like kind of biblical things yeah. of yeah you're gonna live forever you're gonna have no ailments anymore you're gonna be your perfect self right they become younger whereas like riley and the other ones are at their perfect age already so there's this commentary on becoming the perfect human the perfect version of yourself through the monstrosity, not through yeah. their faith. And it's just such mm -hmm. an interest. It provokes such interesting conversations. Like I said, if we were to do it in a church and just be like, I'd love to talk to you guys. Does this piss you off or do you resonate with it? Mm -hmm. Or does it provoke something or like, what, what does this do? Mm -hmm. Cause I, I think it, it asks a lot of really big questions that we don't like to talk about. Totally. And I, I think what I would say to particularly non-religious people is that it juxtaposes real Christianity with false Christianity. Mm. And the real Christianity is on display from the people who aren't explicitly Christian. Right. And the false Christianity is on display from the people who are. And um, But the themes of self-sacrifice... Yeah. of you know the re resisting what is clearly evil even if there's a good sort of um spoken word around it <laughs> um that the um uh, the faithfulness of small acts of of hospitality and neighborliness when 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 um, lisa forgives joe 
uh, without, a, uh, you know, without covering over his sin or pretending it didn't happen, but like diving into it first yeah. and saying all that she needed to say and then saying, um, I mean, that was one of the most profoundly Christian elements of the show. And so for me, there are, um, and so what I would, how I would frame it for people is that you get to see the true, the, the true and the false, and they've always been wed together, uh-huh. always in the history of the church. They've always been wed. In the book of Acts, you've got this magician who's trying to replicate the miracles of the apostles, right? So it's always been here, that same sort of dilemma, and you cannot look to the spectacular to find it. Mm. You've got to look to the self-sacrificial, the loving, the hospitable, the gentle, mm. the kind, the meek. Uh, and those are the pointers, you know, to Jesus among us, not this other sort of show. And mm. so um, I just, I, I, I have not been uh, so profoundly affected by a piece of media in a long time as I was by that. That just it it did it did something, and so I just could not wait to <laughs> talk about it with you guys. Any last words, Caitlin? Any last thoughts? Anything you wanted to talk about but we didn't? Yeah, the something that you just said, and that Tim, you also just said. I really think it can't be stressed enough how much this show displays the fact that when you try to overcome human finitude by your own means, Come on. you will destroy yourself and other people in the process. Come and on. Even to the point of, right, when Bev is talking about revelation, like suddenly she, it like occurs to her, we could burn yeah. everything. It'd be like revelation, the fire. And the, when you try and bring about God's judgment by your own actions, you'll end up destroying everything you cared about. Like she mm. just literally burns her whole town that she cared so much about totally. because she wasn't willing to take her own faith seriously enough and say, we're waiting in this strange in-between time. God has promised both judgment and redemption. We are awaiting it and trying to live faithful lives in the meantime. That's not spectacular enough. That's not exciting enough. I'm going to bring about that judgment myself, both in all of the little ways she does it throughout her life. And then in this massive form of judgment of fire and her attempt to do that literally kills everyone that she cares about and the town that she cares about and herself. And to the point, I also just love in her very last moment, she says earlier in the series at some point how strange it is that we say we're going to go to heaven when we die. Mm-hmm. And yet in our last moments, we claw to try and prevent yep. it from happening. So and good. then that's how she <laughs> ends. It's like when you try and bring about your own righteousness and you try and bring up, you know, overcome your own finitude, when you try and bring about God's judgment, all you will do is destroy other people and destroy yourselves. And she does that. Yeah. And panics and tries to dig that hole. And there's just something there about like how much we need to be God's chosen, how much we need to be the special people, which we see today in the church all the time, even if it means going against our neighbor, Mm. um, you know, to have them on an island separated and um, clinging to this idea of a miracle, that we are the place of the miracle, that Mm. we are the place of, um, you know, this miraculous thing that God chose us. And then to have, to have, what is the, the sheriff, I can't remember his name, but him and his son Hassan. in the same Hassan in the same position as Bev on the beach yeah. as the sun rises, but they're together and they're like enacting. Yeah, and his parallel, the his the father son parallel there with Riley and his parents, I think, is also really interesting to look at and mm-hmm. how they talk about faith and how they talk about family and how um, like Riley's dad just won't deal with it at all until he finally does but and then the mom kind of doesn't deal with it in a different way and they they don't have conversation and they don't 
Riley avoids it, but you can tell at some points wants to push on it a little bit. And then Hassan and his son, that's all they do is like dig into it. Mm. And the fact that he goes to church with him at the end too, and it was just like, mm. I will go, I, I disagree with every reason why you're doing this, but I'll go to it with you and mm-hmm. I'll stand next to you, even though it turned into a, <laughs> yeah. yeah, more than he, more than uh, the terribleness <laughs> that he thought it was going to be. But like the, the family dynamics I thought were really interesting as mm. well and yeah. how those paralleled and the commentary that it provokes on it. Oh, so good. Thank you, Caitlin. That's great. I'm so glad you brought that up. Tim, anything uh, you wanted to cover we haven't hit yet? I wanted to talk about communion, but I don't know if we have time. I, I'm so interested in the commentary yeah. on communion, and uh, I don't know. There's just there's a lot to pick at in there, but I don't know if it's too long of a conversation to yeah, provoke it. Blood, the, eating the blood. I mean, because in the Catholic tradition, of course, once the words are said, there is the transformation into the literal flesh and blood of Jesus. Yeah, it's really, our, a lot of our faith is really horrific in the sense of horror and <laughs> yeah. really gnarly. Yeah. Totally. And I mean, we're big we're proponents s- of reanimation and I don't know. So the using the communion as the tool or the vehicle by which all of the, everything happens in this show, I, it was just, <laughs> it was too perfect, too, too heavy handed. <laughs> It reminded me actually of, I kept thinking throughout the series that you couldn't do anything like this in like a low evangelical kind of church, just because, not because we don't also have symbols and language and rituals, but they're not really very distinct from like a concert or a coffee shop or whatever. Like, but there's something distinct about the language and rituals of a more high church tradition, Catholic or Anglican or whatever. And like, there's sort of a weird indictment of us. Like if you couldn't make a horror movie about us, we're maybe not so different from anything else. Like maybe that's a problem. And some of that comes into the like, like I'm not requiring you to believe in transubstantiation to like, you know, have a distinctive yeah. faith. But there is yeah. something to be said there of like, that's this is so good. strange enough yeah. that you could turn it into a weird horror movie. Or we're probably totally. not strange enough. No, no, you'd have, to, you'd have to pour the vampire blood into the coffee bar. And then... <laughs> You, you, know. eat of my, you eat of my donut flesh and you drink of my <laughs> coffee blood. They couldn't totally. do it. We don't do it often enough. Yeah. Like they couldn't get enough blood in the people. Yeah, totally. Oh, well, exactly. I, yeah. Exactly. I, it's a, there's a, and we've, I think, you know, I'll just try to point people backwards because I know Mike, you've had, I can't remember who it was with, uh, had a great conversation about the Eucharist and Eucharist Jesus. and the churches and maybe, yeah, maybe it was when we had Jesus on the podcast, mm-hmm. but um, there's so much to look at in that and mine in that because mm-hmm. it's just another communion and at least in my experience is is largely still kind of a rhetorical device yeah. that we that someone gets up and says this is my body this is my blood you do it and then you you know leave and go to you know to olive garden or whatever for the day like it's, <laughs> it's, it's it, but it's like it's a really you know it's a really intense thing that we partake in uh, jesus was obviously very intentional with the language and why he was doing it. The fact that the vampire is feeding everybody his blood oh. uh, is a huge commentary as well. Like, oh my and, goodness, yes. So I don't. There's just there's so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's why I'll just I'll I'll kind of just end this here because um, there is so much. But we'd love to hear what you thought and what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Tweet at us. I tweeted out that that Caitlin and I were going to do this. Not I, but us. We're going to do this together. And um, and there's loads of uh, response already. So um, 
you know, Caitlin's a big deal. So we're grateful to get her on and talk about talk about vampires. <laughs> this should be your next book, Caitlin. <laughs> yes. The, the liturgy, liturgy of vampires. Yes. yes. The I'd liturgy read that twice. Transubstantiation. <laughs> so uh, anyway, Caitlin, bless you. Caitlin is at Duke Divinity School pursuing PhD, right? A doctorate, yeah. Yeah. In do you have a do you have it narrowed down yet? Last time I wasn't sure if you had in in political theology. Shocker, and if oh. you've never read her book, The Liturgy of Politics, I would highly recommend it. There is some, there is um, she has a section on corporate liturgies, baptism, communion, that is super that that captures something that is lost in kind of the evangelical posture mm-hmm. we have towards those things. Well, you capture Thanks, a, a shalom justice element to them that is missing for far too long that I absolutely loved. Um, anyway, all that is to say, thank you. You can find her uh, at the Holy Post or on the Holy Post and um, also look her up on Twitter. So thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us